Amen. Good morning, church. How are you guys doing? Good. For those who don't know, my name's Zach. I am the pastor here at The Grove. Um, and, if, and if you don't know and you're new here, I'm just so glad that you're here uh, this morning. We've been going through the book of James for several weeks now. We have several more weeks to go. Um, and typically what we do here at The Grove is we, we have books of the Bible. We go verse by verse through the Bible. And so we are in James chapter 3 that Mark just read with us. Uh, it's been... It's been a tough week just to kind of shed in uh, for you guys to like kind of look into to the life uh, here at the church. Um, one of our members, uh, Jared Garland, his father passed away after a long battle with cancer uh, this week. Um, the funeral service was yesterday. Uh, it was a beautiful graveside service. Um, and so we just want to pray for uh, Jared, his family, um, his mom, uh, as he, they continue the weeks to come. This is something that they knew might happen uh, and would probably happen some point, but it happened this week. And so um, I know they're hurting, um, and so we want to pray for them. So what I want to do is I want to pray for Jared, uh, the Garlands, and then we will get into the text that Mark just uh, read for us. So let's come to the Father together. Father, God, I, I thank you so much for the Garlands uh, in our church family, God. Uh, just the, the, what they bring and what you've done in their lives is just beautiful to see and wonderful to have. Um, and so we're thankful for them, Lord, and we want to we be uh, family, not like family. We want to be family to them at this point, Lord. We want your presence to be made known to the garlands. Um, and, Lord, we ask and know that it is your will to use us to, um, to, to have that presence next to them. So would you use us, Lord? Would you give us the words to say or the words not to say? Uh, would you give us, would let us be the hands and feet as we uh, prepare meals for um, his mom, and the, the wife, and God, I pray, Lord, that you would just use us and be an ever-present uh, God who loves, cares, and pour out your grace upon them. We trust you with them. We know that you will do what is good and right and loving, and we pray this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to make a meal for the garlands, you can do so online. It's been shared. We'll make sure we share it to the fa our Facebook page. Uh, but there's a meal train, and you can make a meal for them and just drop it off just as they navigate this time of their life. Um, and so we're in James chapter 3, so you've been there. And before we get into that, I just want to share a couple fun facts I found this week about uh, researching this passage. Um, but in, in so for some of you, this won't be surprising. Some of you may be low, but about on average, a person spends one-fifth of their life talking. Okay, so on average, some of you guys are like, whoa, I'm way above that, and that's cool. This is average. This is the average person. Some of you are like, I've never even come close to that. Uh, I get it, but the average person has their mouth open for one-fifth of their life. Uh, an average day, if you took it, you could write a, uh, a book of 50 pages with just your words. Um, uh, that's an average day. So if you, take that, if you, if you have an average year, um, it's going to be 132 books of around 200 pages because days are different. Some days are different than others. But um, this is a lot of words we say. One-fifth of our life is speaking, is talking. And look, like, social media and text messages count, okay? So you're, you're actually writing things. Um, you talk to others, you tweet, you Facebook, you text, you talk to yourself. Maybe not out loud, but you're talking to yourself. And so it's probably even more than one-fifth, right? Because everyone talks to themselves. Most of us have just learned we'll get put into a hospital if we do it out loud, so we just do it in our head. And so, like, but we all talk to ourselves. We're constantly, in fact, no one talks to you more than you do. But we are always, always talking. And so it shouldn't be surprising 
that the God who created everything and designed everything would have something to say about how we spend one-fifth of our life, right? That shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't be like, oh, I can't believe God cares about what I say. Because he does, and he, he, we see that here today. And so one-fifth of our lives is talking. God has a design on how that should be. And, and the first thing we're going to see in James, we start to dig into it, is that words are just powerful. Words are incredibly powerful. We can bless people with them. We can build people up. We can encourage them. And we can curse people. I don't mean like, like curse words. You guys, like some of you guys got a little, little scared there. But we don't mean just curse words. But we, we can curse them. We can tear people down. We can um, just tear them to, and burn things to the ground. Throughout the Bible, this isn't just in James. Throughout the Bible, we see in Proverbs 18.21, Solomon says this about words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, some of you guys may think that, that sounds like an overstatement. That's crazy. Words are just words. Um, so, so doing some research this week, over um, 160,000 students every day stay, on average, stay home for fear of bullying. 160,000 students stay home every day, beg their parents to home, fake illnesses to stay home because they're afraid of if they go to school what people might say to them. If you look just over like suicides over the last couple years, just how like hundreds and hundreds of people the reason why they are pushed to take their own life is because of words that people are saying them. Young adults, students, taking their own lives attributed to bullying and the words others say. The Proverbs would also say in 12.18 that there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healings. So words can bring wounds. Words can hurt, but words can also bring healing. Words can bring blessing. Words can build people up and encourage us. And if we're honest, I think all of us can say at some point in our life, someone has said something to us that we remember today, like years ago. Something that just stung and just hurt. Or something that, man, that was like one of the most encouraging things I've ever heard. You just remember that. And so words are powerful. And look, and, and there's this growing movement in a, in a particular political camp that wants to say words, ha words are just words. They're, they can't hurt people. And look, and, and here's the thing I want to say. I'm not saying our government should regulate what we say. But an argument against that cannot be from a Christian, words are just words. Because the Bible is going to say, no, words can harm. Words can hurt people. Words are like sword thrusts. Words have the power in them of life and death. So, so if we want to argue against the government... Um, saying what we can and can't say. I think there's a good argument for that, but it is not. Words are harmless. Who cares what people say? They just, I mean, and like, think about what we teach our kids. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Who wrote that? Like, God, it's got to be a deaf person. <laughs> Someone who can't hear words had to have wrote that. Like, it's just not true. And, and then there, there's, there's even more. The, the uh, I'm, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. Like, that doesn't, that's not even real. That's not a real thing. Like, it's just not. Words wound, and words have meaning, and they're deep, and they penetrate, or they can build up. So, just to kind of open you up in my life, uh, in fifth grade, I wasn't a super popular kid. I know that's strange to think about. Um, I was tall and gangly. I got picked last for most sports, except basketball, the first time. 
Then when they saw me play, they're like, okay, no. He's tall, but he's not good. He's going last from now on. Um, and so I was, uh, I was playing, we were playing volleyball, like intramural volleyball in fifth grade. Um, and so uh, some kid, Michael, um, and he threw, I could say his last name. I don't think he's ever going to listen to this, but I don't want to out the guy. Uh, I hope he's grown and changed by then. He threw a cheese it at me, okay? Not a big deal, right? Not a big deal. Well, that cheese it somehow, like, the wind just caught it perfectly. It came and literally, like, sliced my lip open. Um, it just, like, cut my lip open. And um, this is embarrassing. I, uh, I guess, like, maybe the salt got in there. And, and so I, I, a tear, a single solitude tear <laughs> fell from my eye down my cheek, okay? Um, now, you might think... That's crazy, but all of us have been hit in the face all of a sudden, and like, you're just, there's just natural reaction to like a tear comes out. You hit in the nose, playing a sport, just like a tear falls, like, I'm not, it's not what, what you think. Um, it's probably exactly what you think, but <laughs> the point is, is, is what Michael said on that day, that I was a crybaby, and he coined the new nickname I would have for a long time, Cheese It, which wasn't really creative. All the way till high school, I would hear this nickname from fifth grade to high school of cheese it. Remember when Zach cried in fifth grade because I threw a cheese it at him? Like this is this is it. And so that I mean that wound like I didn't think that wounded me. Like I don't care rubber glue the whole sticks and stones thing. But then I have kids, and I have a pretty emotional son, um, and and I can see myself when my son gets emotional and crying, just wanting to get that out of him. Like I can see myself like. When Eliam starts to cry over something he shouldn't cry about, be like, what are you doing, buddy? Why are you crying? And so I can see, because I have a good uh, gospel coach or therapist, some might call them, um, who, who helps me work through my life. I can see that the reason why I get so frustrated with Eliam and his crying is not because what he's doing is wrong. It's because I don't want him to go to school and get made fun of. I think somehow being made fun of by his dad is better. It's not. But I think that I could get this out of him. And so this wound from fifth grade into high school has changed the way I parent. Like, words have meaning. And we're working on it. I'm trying to get that out of me. Um, But there's this idea that words can change us. Words can hurt us, both in a positive way um, and in a destructive way. And so we'll go back through verses 1 and 2, and then we'll keep going, and we'll talk about what James is trying to tell his people here. He says in verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater uh, strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. So James is saying this is especially true of teachers. Teachers, like, they they, they literally speak for a living. Like, this is what they do. They're always speaking. They're probably way past the one-fifth, right, of their life speaking. I probably speak way more, especially since we went to two services. I speak way more than one-fifth of my life. So there's this idea that teachers need to be really certain what they say. And I think for you guys here, and we'll talk about the teachers, but you guys here, because words are so powerful, like, you need to be careful who you listen to. You need to be careful who you let teach you. You need to be careful about who you podcast and what books you read because words have power and you will begin to believe things. There's a way people can teach that brings life to a community and brings vitality to a community. And there's a way people teach that just poisons a community. And maybe even with like good thoughts, right? Like there's a way, there's a way in which we can have good theology and speak that good theology in a way that it wasn't intended 
and apply that in an evil, destructed, and sometimes even demonic way. Like, I'm dealing, I, deal, I deal sometimes with, with husbands who will use good theology and good doctrine just to beat their wives into submission. That is not okay. It's demonic, it's wrong, and it's evil to use what God, words that God has given for good to try and beat someone else up to do what you want them to do. And so words, good words, bad words, all can be used in a way that's destructive. And teachers especially true. So for those who aspire to teaching, know that it comes with greater judgment. And it can, it can be a serious thing. And you should um, really be careful about who you let exercise authority over your life with their words. Be careful who you listen to. He's going to go on and give us several examples of why this is important in verse 3 and on. And he'll say this in verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't like horses. Um, horses are, like, way too powerful for, like, people being on their backs, okay? Um, when, when I graduated high school, I went to this camp in Alaska uh, I was a summer camp counselor. Um, I was in charge of just, like, the small group time with kids and, like, teaching them about Jesus and stuff. Not very well. I had no business doing that. I was 17 years old. Um, but I was doing this, and it was a nice camp. It was on Kodiak, Alaska, a beautiful place. Um, they had horses. They had all sorts of cool stuff going on. Um, well, one day, it was a day camp. It wasn't, like, a full summer camp. It was a day camp. Um, and so we're waiting for kids, to, their parents to come pick up their kids, like people who work in these canneries and, and fisher, um, fishing boats. And so we're waiting for these people to come and pick up these kids. And the horse person had to go tend to something like an emergency, she says. And she's like, Zach, can you watch the kids with the horses? And I was like, no, I definitely can't do that. Like, that's, <laughs> that is not a good idea. And it wasn't a good idea. Uh, because what happened was uh, somehow the horse got spooked and the horse began to kick. And the horse kicked this kid in, in like the upper thigh he went flying, just like, it was like a movie, uh, and not like a good one, and he's like flying through the air and just lands in the mud, I'm like throwing kids down, like throwing them away from this like wild beast that should have never been near kids ever, and so I'm like throwing kids out of the way, uh, I'm getting violent with kids, but I feel like my violence is less than the horse's violence, so it's, it's better. Horses are crazy, but a person with training can put a small little bit in its mouth and tell it where to go, and it will obey. After some training, you got to, like, break it in the whole thing. I don't know. Um, I don't think we should do it, but people do. You can train a horse, and you can have it go wherever you want and do amazing things with this small little thing in its mouth. And in, in verse 4, he'll give us another example. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot Directs. So also, verse six, uh, 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. So he gives us two more examples. A ship. A ship is this huge thing. I love cruising. It's like my favorite thing to do in the world, vacation-wise. I like the Bible and stuff, too. Um, <laughs> but I love, I love cruising. And, like, these little rudders on the back can take this huge floating city and, and, and take it wherever it wants to go. You can have this huge forest, and, and one lit cigarette thrown out a car window can start a crazy forest fire. So, like, these small things 
have great power. A bit in a horse's mouth, a rudder on a ship, and a small fire has amazing power. And so also our tongue has amazing power. So James is making this case that our tongue, our words are powerful. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. So there's some, some comedy he's bringing. You can tame anything, any beast you can tame, any reptile you can tame, but you can't tame your tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Words are powerful. Words are powerful historically throughout time. Like the whole idea, like of World War II in the Holocaust in Nazi Germany, the thing that rose people and convinced people of so much evil was rhetoric. It was someone being able to talk winsomely with their words. We think about um, like the Jim Crow South, the reason why people were so um, into the racism and oppressing another people group was because of rhetoric. They were convinced by words to believe certain things. To de- we can dehumanize people if we change the words we use. Look at, look at abortion today. If we think about abortion and we think about the words that are used around why it's okay to kill babies in the womb, it's because they're not, they're not babies. They're just clumps of cell, cells. And if we change the words we use, we can convince people that atrocities, evil things, are okay. Because of the words, because of rhetoric, the things that we say. Words have been powerful historically. And it's rhetoric today that's going to change. And that's why words are so powerful. That's why preaching the gospel is so important. I mean, literally, we have to speak things and talk about Jesus. Like, this is a side note. This isn't in my notes, but like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that saying, and some, some people might like it, and I'm not trying to like dog you, but of like, preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. Like, when you preach the gospel, you're gonna have to use words. Like, Paul says in Romans, like, they, they come by hearing. They hear the gospel, not just see it. Now, listen to me, you should live a life that displays the gospel. Yes and amen. But no one's going to come to faith in Christ because you leave a good tip at an Italian restaurant. It's just not going to happen. No one's going to come to faith in Christ because at work you don't cuss. It's going to be things you say out loud about Jesus. This is historically true. And you don't have to be good at it. Paul himself would say, I'm not a good preacher. I don't speak well. But I come and I preach Christ and him crucified and God does the rest. Peter, like you know what they said of the, of the apostles in, in, in Acts? They were unlearned men. And we think we have to get degrees and like study and do all this stuff. Like Jesus sent his disciples out like within not that long of following him and said, go out, go preach the gospel, go share the good news, go cast out demons, go do things, but also share the good news with people. So there's this sense that we have to speak at some point. Why? Because what Jess, Jess said earlier today, words have power. There's something powerful about preaching the gospel over your lives. There's something powerful about preaching the gospel over the lives of others. We're going to have to speak. Words are powerful. The other thing I think James is saying here is words. We've been looking at indicators or diagnostic tools we can have in our life, right? Um, throughout James. Words are an indicator of how mature you are in Christ. Words are an indicator of what you say. So, so here's what James is going to say in verse 2. We'll go back to verse 2. 
he says this, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able, also able to bridle his tongue. So this is what he's saying, that, that in, in that if you're able to bridle your tongue, to keep your tongue in control, that you'll be perfect. Like, thi- this is the thing, this is the thing that causes you to stumble. But, that's, but here's, what he, here's what he's not saying, because we have to get this right, and it's all throughout James, is he's not saying that, hey, if you could just control your tongue, then you'll be fine. Because, if, because you can't control your tongue. He literally says later that no one can do it. So we have to, to look at Scripture as a whole. Here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the idea of what James is saying here is that if the person who, who is can control their tongue, they have a new heart. Because it's out of the heart the mouth speaks. The reason why you say what you say, the reason why you say these things, whatever you say, it's out of the abundance of the heart. And we have to be careful not to have excuses for what we say. Because, man, it's easy for me to be like, oh, I'm just hangry. That's why, that's why I snapped at the kids. I was hungry. We didn't eat when we were supposed to eat, so I just got upset and I snapped. No, 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 no. I snapped because in my heart I am so self-concerned and everything's about me that when we don't eat what I'm supposed to eat, when we don't eat what I want to eat, I think it's okay to snap at others. We can't, oh, I'm just tired. It's just been a long week. I'm sorry. I had a hard day at work. No, that's, that's not why you said what you said. Your external circumstances have no bearing on, on what you say. Your external circumstances can press on you, and they will press out of your heart what was already in there. This is what James is saying. This is what Luke is saying. And so here's what we need to do. We have to look at our heart because we can't just change our mouth. We can't change what we say. But man, there's good news. There's good news in the gospel. And there's two pieces of good news here. And the first thing of good news is we don't have to wonder about our heart. Like God has designed and given us a way to know our heart. What do you say? What do you find yourself saying? Do do you find yourself getting angry at your kids, getting angry at your wife, getting angry at coworkers? Man, you're just an angry person. Don't make excuses. Don't say works hard, stresses. You're, You're an angry person and you need a new heart. You need the gospel to bear its weight on the anger in your heart. If, are you, are you, um, there's tons of people who could go over. Uh, the, my favorite is the, is the one-upper, okay? Because some of us aren't just going to snapping at anger, right? Some of us are a lot more passive-aggressive than that. So, like, we will refuse to enter into the celebration of other people because we will always one-up them. Okay, th- this exposes something in our heart, right? When someone says, like, hey, man, uh, I got this new truck, and you're like, oh, that's a cool truck. I, I like mine, though. Mine's got this one thing in the engine that does this one thing. I don't, I don't know anything about cars, so I couldn't really go long with that analogy. <laughs> but I feel like I went as far as I could. But, like, all the time, like, hey, I got this, I got this promotion. I got it really quick, and I got it, like, in six months. Man, I'm so excited. God's totally blessed me. Like, oh, that's cool, man. I got a promotion one time in four months. I totally know how it feels. Like, this reveals something in our heart. Because not all of us are going to snap. Some of us, some of us care way too much what people think. We will rein in our anger, and it will come out in jealousy. It will come out in one-upping. So here's the thing. We don't have to wonder about where our heart is. God's given us a wonderful diagnostic tool for us to say, oh, man, my heart's jealous. My heart's angry. My heart's selfish. Just listen to the things you say, and you will know 
What's going on? If we're honest, some of us in here, some of our lives are marked by words that tear down, words that attack, words that discourage, words that hurt other people. And look, and all of us do this at times. There's not, we're not going to raise our hands, but if I asked, every single person would honestly raise their hand if I asked, hey, how many of us knew something we were going to say was going to crush that person, we wanted to crush that person, so we said it. Every single one of us would raise our hands because it reveals something about our hearts. Some of us are jealous, some of us refuse to celebrate with others, some of us are angry. We know our heart because we know our words. Our words are telling us. Our words will expose us. So the second good news is the gospel, that Jesus did not come to help us control our tongue. Jesus came to give us a new identity and a new heart. Because our heart is rooted in our identity and who we think we are. So if you think that you have to be this great mom, when someone else says, man, that person mother's so great, you're like, yeah, but they're like always hovering over their kids, you know, like, like, we will lash out and we will make excuses because we think, I have to be this great mom. If, you, if you're at work and you want to be the best employee and someone else gets praise, instantly you start thinking, yeah, well, they don't know that this person does this or this person doesn't do that. Like, you start coming up with reasons why that person gets praise. It reveals in your heart where your identity lies. You think you have to be the best employee, the best father, the best dad. That's your identity, and your identity is not in Christ. Because if we let the love and forgiveness of Christ rest on our lives... Our identity changes, our heart changes, and our words will inevitably change. Our identity. There's this really cool story in the Gospels where Jesus takes um, some, three of his disciples up on, the, on a mountain. It's called the Mount of Tra- Transfiguration. And he goes there and he reveals his glory to his disciples. And then, and then he's, he's surrounded by Moses and Elijah and this voice comes down from heaven. It's God the Father, and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. This is what God the Father says of his son, Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm proud of. He has a mission, and he's going to help you fulfill yours. Listen to him. Here's the cool thing about the gospel. When you are saved through confession, repentance, and belief in the gospel, God saves, gives you a new heart. He also makes you heirs of grace. Paul would put it this way. He hides you in Christ. You are hidden in Christ. So when God the Father looks down on his son and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. He says of you, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter, and I'm proud of you. Because, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done, and you're hidden in that. And so some of us, man, we've never heard these words before. Like some of us can look back and think of our dads or our moms or people in our life and think, man, I don't know I ever heard someone just call me their beloved. I don't know if I ever heard someone just say, man, I'm pleased in you. Like I'm proud of you. We don't hear those things. So we work ourselves out and we seek those things in a million different ways in our life. And we make our identity in those things. I mean, I'm going to be loved because I'm going to be the best at this. I'm going to be loved because I'm going to be this. I'm going to be loved because I'm going to do this. And we try and get love. We try and get admiration. We try and get these things outside of Christ. And then we begin to snap and treat others like they weren't created in the likeness of God. We treat others like they are stepping stools to get where we think we need to be to feel good about ourselves. But if you're in Christ, you have all the love, 
all the good pleasure of God the Father already on you. You don't have to find your identity in anything else. Like my identity is in Christ. Then I am a husband. Then I am a father. Then I'm a pastor and then I'm a business owner. And that order, and where things start to get out of order, where, where identities start to go in places where they shouldn't be, I can see my heart change. I can see my words begin to change. Because if I think that I'm a pastor first, and I start comparing myself to other pastors, and, oh, well, they preach like this, and they preach like this, oh, they, like, there's a reason why I don't preach like that guy. That guy's crazy. Like, I begin to compare myself to others. When, when, I, when I think I'm a business owner first, man, I just get depressed. Because there's all these guys on Instagram, just, they're just crushing it at owning businesses, right? But when my identity is in Christ... All these things are sub-identities of that first identity. And I'm going to do all these things well because of this one. I'm going to be a good husband because that glorifies Christ. I'm going to be a good father because that shows how good God the Father is. I'm going to be a good pastor to represent Christ to his church. I'm going to be a good business owner to love and to honor and glorify God so I can be generous, so I can love others and, and share the gospel. Like, There's a reason why I do all these things, but it's because I find myself in that first identity. And where I don't, and I often don't, I be, see things begin to get disordered in my life and get messed up in my life. But Christ, he, his word, his love, and what he has done justifies us, changes us, gives us a new heart, a new identity. So, so here's what I think. I think a lot of us here this morning, man, we just have warring identities in our life. I think a lot of us here find our identity in Christ at some point. We have these other things that we love, other thing identities, and we, we don't seem to keep Christ at the center and keep Christ our identity. And where that happens, I think it's easy for us to tell. Because a lot of us are like, well, how do I know? How do I know where my identities are? Like, I feel like God is number one, and I feel like these things are second. Your words. Your words will betray you. You can put on, like, a face like, yeah, no, God's, God's my number one identity. But, but your words will betray you. People can see, people can hear. And what I'm asking for is for you to see and you to hear your own words. If you hear your own words... Do they represent, do they look like someone who finds their identity in Christ? Here's a dream I have for the Grove. Like, what if we were just a place, and I think we're, we're, we're really close to this, but what if we were just a place that just, like, encourages and edifies everyone around us? We're going to have to admonish and, and, and rebuke people at times. But what if our default position was to encourage people to love others to care for them. Like, and I think we're close to that, but here's where, I, here, here's where I think we fall short. I think a lot of us think good thoughts about others, but we don't find ourselves actually speaking those thoughts out loud to them. Like, I can think I said stuff to my wife because I thought it. And when we have conversations, I realize, you know what, I never actually said that. This happened to us recently. It was, it was reverse. Uh, I, but M Margie thought she said something to me. Uh, she thought she texted it to me. And so we were able to actually go back, and I probably shouldn't have gone back to prove her wrong. Like, that was not, like, this is not a pro tip. This is, like, something you don't do. But I did. And it ended up a good conversation after, like, a couple hours. But um, she thought for sure she said something to me. But what happened was she just thought it. And I think us as Christians, as a family of believers, oftentimes, man, we could be like, man, 
Like what that guy said at home group was just profound and it was good. And we think that. But we never tell that person. We never bless that person with the words that God has given us to say. And so what if, and this isn't like don't, like this isn't how we do it. Don't, I'm not looking, come up and tell me how good I'm doing. I want you guys to do this to each other. Like encourage one another. Like, like we have this awesome band up here that leads us in music. And some of you guys think, like are so glad we're off that video stuff. But have you ever said that to them? Have you ever gone like, hey, I'm so glad you guys sacrifice time every week every Sunday morning to lead us. Like, so this is my dream. Like, this is, God, what would it look like if this was the family we had here? I, again, I'm not trying to call us out. You guys probably think some awesome things. Let's put them to words. Let's say them out loud to one another. Here's a couple other things I would say, and, and then we'll close. The good thing that we need to do is just to be honest about where we are. Our words will betray us, but the gospel's going to out us. And here's what I mean by that. We can think, you know what, I'm doing pretty well, I'm good, I got my identities in order, and we can just ignore our words. But the good news of the gospel is that God's the first one to say, you're not doing well. Like, you're wicked. You're not good. Like, he says it first. And he says it of everyone. And so, like, he, here, here's the thing, like, you can be real and you can be honest here at church. I know church isn't the place for honesty, but we can change that. We can make it the place for honesty. We can make it a place where it's okay not to be okay, where we can be real with people. Because here's the thing, you're not going to surprise anyone. Like, the gospel says of every one of you, myself included, we're wicked. So why do you try to pretend like you're not? Why do you put this, like, fake spirituality up? And pretend like everything's okay, when if we're honest, we know no, not everything's okay for everyone all the time. So you're, you're, you're at some point, you're faking. You can have seasons where like, hey, things are going pretty well, but I know that can't be true all the time. You know what worries me about church folk? Is the guy in here, or the woman in here, who's just always okay. Everything's always going well, they've never had an issue, everything's okay, hey, I don't struggle with that, I'll pray for you guys, kind of, kind of person. Like, that worries me. Because I know that can't be true. I know it can't be true. And we all know it can't be true. So you're not fooling anyone. Like maybe you fool some people sometime, but then they're at home, they're like, there's no way that's true. Like that person's crazy. Like we know it. And so like the gospel's going to out you so you can be honest. You can come to home group and be like, hey guys, like I struggle with my priorities and my identities in my life. Like I'm constantly trying to like find my identity and being a mom. I'm constantly trying to find my identity in being an employee and making money or being a husband or whatever it may be, being uh, an athlete, being whatever it could be. You can be honest about that. We know it's going to be true at times. So you being honest is not surprising. Be honest. I think the the thing we have to do is confess and repent. When we find our words um, betraying what we've said about ourselves. We find anger welling up and coming out. When we find jealousy welling up and coming out. When we find um, insecurities uh, welling up and coming out through our words, we can be honest about those things. Everyone around us sees it. We can confess, repent, and seek help. Words are important. Words are powerful. This isn't something that you should just be like, well, I know they're just words. Like, I'll figure this out someday. You are either wounding the people around you 
or you're building them up. Let's lean towards building them up. Get help if you need it. Let's work on your identity in Christ because it's, it's that important. Not just for the souls and the wounds of people around you, but for yourself. So here's what we're going to do. Um, we're gonna, in just a moment, we're going to sing uh, and we're going to celebrate the good news of what Christ has done for us. We're going to celebrate the good news that, that Christ has given us these diagnostic tools to show us how wicked and evil we are and that we can cling to the gospel. That we know, like I was talking to someone this morning and, and, and these accusations come up from, from Satan, right? Like Satan would say things about you like, hey, like you can't come up here and preach because like what were you doing yesterday? You were yelling at your son for like crying, the exact same thing I'm preaching about this morning. Like I can hear those accusations from Satan. But you know, you know what's awesome? I, I think this was Martin Luther. He would say, man, the devil doesn't know the half of it. Like, if he knew all of the things he could accuse me of, we'd be here all day. It's that and more. But God loves me. He's covered that. His blood has washed that away. So we want to celebrate that this morning, that God has given us the tools that we need to um, come to him, to see that we need him. Uh, he's given us uh, the law, a tutor to Christ, to teach us we need Christ and so we can come to him and celebrate what he's done for us. And so we'll do that in, in a number of ways. We'll sing together. So in a moment, we'll stand and we'll sing um, the gospel. In a moment, we will uh, have communion available up here on the bar. If you are a believer in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you can come up this aisle, come over here, grab communion. There's wine or juice and there's bread, and you can walk around back to your seat and take that um, by yourself or with your family or friends or whoever you came with, uh, or by yourself. You didn't come with anyone. You can do that. And also, you, if you're a member here at the Grove, um, you can respond to the gospel with your generosity. And so we have our giving box up here on the bar. If you're just a visitor here today, please don't feel like we're, this is a time where the church is saying, hey, you should give to us because we're not. But if you're a member or someone here who wants to invest in what God is doing and invest in something that's eternal uh, in response to the gospel, you can do that here. So we're going to sing, have communion, and have a time to give back to God what he's generously given to us. Um, so I'll pray for us, and then we will stand and sing. Father, God, I love you so much. Lord, I'm so thankful for all that you've done. I'm thankful for um, this life uh, in Christ that you've given us, Lord, that you've given us this new identity that has changed our hearts, that um, begins to change our words, Lord. So I pray this morning for those here who have um, just warring identities or identities are trying to overstep and, be, and get higher than they ought to be, that you would just remind us of who we are in you that we'd find our identity as beloved sons and daughters in whom you're proud of and whom you've given a mission to and we'll equip for. God, so we trust you. We thank you, God. Work in our hearts. I pray that as we sing, as we eat, drink, and give, that that would be a blessing to you, that it would glorify you, Father. So be with us now as we worship you and worship our King, Jesus Christ. I pray this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys.